Welcome back, everyone. This is Blaze Tambor, your host of the Pitch Blitz Morning Show, here to cover all of the ins and outs that you need to know regarding Euro 2020 as it concluded uh, yesterday with the England and Italy game in the final. An absolutely enticing game down to the wire that ended up in another England penalty kick loss as Gareth Southgate just cannot get away from the penalty kicks in finals of European tournaments. With me today are three guests that have been following the podcast like no other, and three guys who are very knowledgeable in the sport of soccer. Welcome, Brad Schmidt, Savas, and Nico. What's going on, guys? Ready to talk about some soccer. Yeah. Thanks for having us. All right, so let's jump into the action. Uh, So Italy versus England. We all knew as soon as this tournament started uh, that these two teams were going to be the ones that were going to make it far in the tournament. Uh, Did we expect them both to make it this far into the final probably not um but here we are here we are um so before we jump into the meat and potatoes of this podcast i just want to break down a few of the ins and outs of and the details of today's game so as we all know um, england gareth southgate's team unfortunately lost again in penalty kicks three two to the azori the italian national team uh, the game finished 1-1 after 120 minutes. Could not decide a winner. Uh, Luke Shaw and, and Leonardo Bonucci were the two goal scorers, and Italy maintained 66% of possession for the entirety of the game. Um, so, guys, I just want to get your opinions on the game, You know, the guys that really stood out to you, the guys that did not stand out to you, and some guys that definitely could have played better. You know, As I was watching the game, there were multiple players that you know, would make a run down the flank, um, and then they would get caught out on defense and, you know, would either let up in a goal or let up in a, in a goal-scoring opportunity. So, Nick, I'm going to turn this over to you first. Uh, in your opinion, what was it one specific player or multiple players that, that made a difference uh, in the game for you, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there were a couple players that helped both sides really well and there were also a couple players that really just did not live up to their expectations at all so like for Italy I think Chiesa was honestly the best player on the field unfortunately he did have to come off but in the first half he was the only one on Italy that was really showing any urgency I think and at least in the beginning of the first half he was running back to defend. I saw him, he was angry that no one was trying to get back on the ball. He was upset that we let up an easy goal. He he wanted to score. He was putting shots on target. He was creating opportunities. He was constantly putting pressure on the ball. And on the other side, in the first half, England was really showing what they had. And I'm, in my opinion, I think Raheem Sterling was one of the best players on the team today with the amount of space he created and his runs through the middle. He constantly switched the point of attack. I mean, I think he really made a difference in the end. He wasn't able to score, but if it wasn't for him, I don't think they would have had the opportunities they did in the first half. That first half, it literally felt Italy was trying to make up for like what was obviously basically a mistake. Getting scored on that early is something you don't want to see. It felt like they were fighting back out of that the whole time, but they did not look good because they were, like, desperate, and it just wasn't working. The thing is, I I completely agree with that, Brad, but at the same time, England, once they scored that goal, right at the beginning of the game, they were compact. They they possessed the ball. Italy 
looked like they didn't know what they were doing. They were attacking right down the middle. I agree. England definitely looked like a way better team first half. Yeah, but as soon as they scored that goal, I felt like Italy needed to dig themselves out of that hole, so they began to break them down. And then in that second half, they exploited exactly what England wanted to do to keep them under control, which was staying compact, controlling the middle of the field. And England just lost their entire sense of urgency. And that's why Italy controlled the game. It was kind of a game of momentum at that point. I thought the last five minutes of the first half is when Italy started to figure it out and whatever they were doing was working. Literally, like, in the added time is when they seemed to have it click. And then they came back second half and kind of put it to use. I thought they would have scored too, honestly. Sebastian, I know that we talked about this earlier, but I think that the first goal, the Luke Shaw goal, first of all, that was – a gorgeous goal. Um, whether you like soccer or don't, you, you'll you have to tip your hat uh, to both Luke Shaw and Karen Trippier. That was gorgeous ball right over Bonucci and Chiellini's head. First time left-footed shot from Luke Shaw. Um, there's really no defending there from Italy. Lorenzo should have been on the back post, and he wasn't in position. Right. So, uh, as you said, that conversation can go either way. Um, I know that Sebastian and I, when we were watching, uh, he, Sebastian, you said that you thought there was nothing that the defenders could do about it. Yeah, I mean, with a ball like Trippier's, like, first of all, they shouldn't have given uh, Trippier, like, the space that they did. He looked up and down at least three times moving forward and forward closer to the 18. Someone should have had that back post. So at that point in time, they had already messed up. They can't go back. So there was nothing they could have done at that point. They should have corrected that, you know, at the first sign of Trippier looking up to see who's going back post. Um, yeah, that was a gorgeous ball. Uh, Shaw hit it perfectly uh, for the one time on near post, which is really hard to do, and uh, just absolutely buried it. And I think that with the mistake like that, that really lit a fire underneath Italy because they knew that they could defend and play better than that. Yeah, so to kind of cover both of you guys, uh, or all, all three of you guys, what you're saying. So I, I – I had Jorginho um, as my difference maker for for Italy. He practically covered 90% of the pitch for every minute of the game. Um, he, He wasn't subbed out. He barely needed water. He went in every tackle 100%. Uh, he came back on defense. You know, there were some times where Italy was in the final third or in, in midfield and Jorginho wasn't there. It looked like he was playing center back. Exactly. And then as soon as as soon as the, the, the tables turned, as soon as England had the ball, as soon as they had possession, they were on the, the front foot. You notice that Jorginho was practically playing in between Chiellini and Bonucci. Um, and then on offense, when they were in, in England's box, you saw Jorginho there. So endurance was off the charts. But I mean, despite missing the penalty kick before Saka's miss, I think Jorginho showed why um, he deserves to be in the Ballon d'Or talk. Um, that's a bold take, but I I think you have a player that won the, the Champions League uh, with Chelsea, and now he's won the, the Euros with the Italian national team, a team that no one thought would, would even come anywhere close to this until the group stage when they won 3-0 back-to-back against Turkey and Switzerland. Then everyone was like, oh, crap, you know, Italy's good. Um, so I think a lot of people are... are are saying that Jorginho doesn't deserve it because he's not a star player, but hey, we've been we've been dealt with with Cristiano Ronaldo's, Neymar's, Messi's, and Luka Modric for the past fifteen years. We're not always going to get that type of Ballon d'Or player. 
So, you know, it's time to kind of step back and say, what is the definition of the Ballon d'Or? Is it just the player that scores the most goals? Is it just the player that scores or that assists the, the, the most goals for, for his teammates? Or is it the type of player that Jorginho is? Is it the type of player that could, you know, track back on defense but go up on offense or to go 100% into slide tackles, you know? So, bold take. I think that was really good, um, that you bringing up Luka Modric, because I was about to say three years ago, when they were qualifying for the World Cup, you know, Italy sadly didn't make it. And then they did a whole 180 and they really, you know, battened down the hatches and really figured out what they needed to do. Like you said, one Champions League, one Euros. That's basically what Luka Modric did with Real Madrid. You know, they won countless trophies and then he took Croatia to a World Cup final in 2018 and people started really giving him the recognition that he deserves. So I, in the beginning of you saying that, you know, Georgina should be a Belinda or like conversation piece, um, that what I, I didn't really think about it, but then once you started explaining it and brought up Luka Modric, I was like, wow, yeah. Like I could definitely see the similarities there. Cause like Luka Modric, he doesn't really score like the best goals or the most amount of goals, but he is just always where he needs to be and is delivering the balls that he should be. He's one of those guys, if he's there, you may not notice him. But if he's not there, you'll notice that he's not there. I also want to give a quick shout-out to the Manchester City guy, uh, Kyle Walker. I thought um, he was overlooked this tournament. Um, a lot of people said that Kyle Walker's old. He's not as quick enough. You know, Anyone could beat him on the flank. Uh, this kid's got – he's still got his speed. He still got his, his endurance that lasted him the entire match before being subbed off. Any any game that I watched England play in, now, granted, they also did not let in more than two goals in the entire tournament. Um, so some things to be said to Sebastian, what you said about Harry Maguire. Something needs to be said for that English, that England defense, um, but also Kyle Walker. Um, not only does he have that energy and that hustle that the English defense need, but they need leadership. And that's something that a, a few guys on the English team lacked. And that's something that we noticed. And there's also people on the English team that did not live up to everybody's expectations. Um, just real quick, I, in my opinion, the guy that did not live up to everyone's expectations for this game, um, honestly, really the entire tournament, was Mason Mount. Yes, yes, um, I, yeah. I feel like uh, 2019, like the 2019-2020 season, Everyone thought Mason Mount was, you know, the be-all, end-all. He was the next David Beckham. He was he was a, a homegrown kid, youth academy at Chelsea. You know, this was the this was Chelsea's future with Tommy Abraham and uh, Billy Gilmore. Uh, Euros, I don't really think he did anything. No, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that because you know both him and Phil Foden they were you know, the two young guys that were going to, you know, bring it home. Um, but, you know, sadly, sadly, Phil Foden uh, couldn't play in the match yesterday uh, for the final. Also, I think that was a pivotal thing. Um, both him and Spinozola for Italy, I feel like th both of those two players playing, it would have been a completely different game. It would still be a very competitive, high-level intensity match, um, but it would have definitely been a different game. But Brad, do you think that uh, if Luke Shaw did not score that that goal in the second minute, you think the game would have been would have had a different outcome? Yeah, I think it was a big 
I think it was a big momentum thing. Like I said, like you could literally see like the waves of momentum, like through the whole, throughout literally the whole game from just kickoff gets a goal right away. Like absolute game changer. Italy literally looked like they were scrambling to like figure out how to play soccer again and just like being overly aggressive in my opinion. And then they just figured it out. They clicked. They needed to like sit down at halftime and like, settle they just got like too aggressive i think yeah, no, yeah I, I mean i think the reason that goal was even scored is because emerson did not defend that that ball he just did not defend Karen trippier's ball and he's known for that he doesn't he just doesn't defend and if spinach ball was there i left back i don't think that ball would have been played in i don't think that goal would have been scored see now i i i disagree i think england played very well in the first half and i I give all the credit to what Southgate has done with the team. Granted, he was handed, you know, a team filled with superstars, so it was hard to fail. Um, but I, I watching that first half, um, Italy was sleeping. Italy wasn't doing anything. Italy was not defending. They weren't attacking. They were were not doing anything. They had eleven guys in their own box at one point, and it was not a corner kick. Now, I, I don't even want to go back to the if Luke Shaw didn't score that goal because he scored that goal. It was one nothing from the second minute on. Um, reality kind of hit for Italy because they, they, they know the record. The record was uh, player uh, teams that score first in the finals are 34-5-9. So they knew that odds were stacked against really? them. I never knew that stuff. Wow. They, they knew that, that the odds were against them. Um, but – like you said, I think that letting up a goal and knowing, well, crap, we haven't let up more than one goal in this entire tournament in the in the last thirty six games. You know, we got to get our act together. Um, so I think that kind of woke him up, but not until the fiftieth minute, not until the fifty fifth minute. It wasn't until, honestly, this this sounds redundant because a goal is obviously going to spike some energy, but I did not see Italy's energy and momentum until. Keelan, you scored the goal. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, going back to what you said, Blaze, if that goal wasn't scored, I honestly could have seen England winning that game. Because, like I was saying before, I don't I, – I think that once that goal was scored, that's when Italy was like, whoa, we need to, we need to figure out what's going on. And England, England controlled the first what, 25, 30 minutes of that game like crazy. I mean, like – in the beginning, Italy could barely touch the ball. They were so compact in the midfield, passing extremely well. But yeah, I think that um, I think that you know, Italy did you know wake up maybe like those last five minutes of the first half. They controlled um, maybe like thirty minutes of the second half, and then England kind of woke up towards the end because they did not want to go to extra time at all. You could tell, like, in the last, like, 15, 20 minutes, England was possessing. They were taking control. It's like a light switched on, and they really didn't want to go to OT. But, you know, at the end of the day, Italy came back, and it's pretty surprising how in the history of the Euros, there's only been three teams to come back to win after being down um, in the final. Yeah, and something else that I found um, while watching this game – uh, very good game. Um, obviously, I'm Italian, so I, I was very happy with the outcome. Um, but 
end to end, offense and offense, defense and defense, tackles. But Seb, to your point, towards the end of the ninety minutes, um, I kind of felt that Italy was lucky to go into extra time because there were a few times. Um, I'm not sure if it was extra time or if it was uh, within the 90 minutes when Bukayo Saka was on yeah. the flank and Giorgio Keeling. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was like the, the horse, he horse collared him. It was the last minute in stoppage time and Bukayo Saka was gone and Keelini ripped his shirt down. Um, to In my eyes, in my opinion, that showed that Italy was tired. Italy knew that if they don't get a break right now, they're going to lose this game. Um, same thing happened, uh, I believe it, it was Sterling. Sterling was going on the left flank, and um, Emerson came out of nowhere and just tackled him. Um, blatant, you know, wanted to get a yellow card, but same same thing as Chiellini. He knew, I think that was like around the 88th. He had minute. them beat. Yeah. Um, he knew that if, if he didn't do anything, he knew his his teammates were tired and they were going to let up a goal. So, I think, I think Italy, I think Italy needed that needed extra time, um, and it was half and half. I think Italy won the first half of extra time and England won the second. Do you think either of those guys should have gotten booked? Because I saw people on Twitter that were like upset, like Italy should be playing with ten. Chiellini, Chiellini got booked. He got a yellow, right? Chiellini got a yellow. But but there were well there were there were question marks about why there were some he speculations on whether that, that yeah could have been a red. could have been a red for the for the last man yeah, back yeah. yeah yeah oh that's true yep. if if that was if that was more towards the middle of the field I think that's an easy red yeah there were some there, there were some questionable um, decisions by this ref. Um, one thing I do think I think he ref the I think he ref the game. Well, he he overall, he refed a really good game. There were fouls. He played on both he sides. played a lot of good advantages. He played a lot of good advantages, which I like to see. He say. was fair. He was fair. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I I consistent going fair. back to England and their tactics. Um, you know, Gareth Southgate. You know, some English fans love him. Some English fans want him gone immediately. Uh, he played a, a three four two one. Not the best formation, especially for a final against um, uh, an an Italian team with an older defense. Um, but Seb, d- tactically, do you think Gareth Southgate knew that once you get past Nicola Barella and Jorginho, once you get past uh, Italy's midfields, you're you're through because you you put a Raheem Sterling in between Bonucci and Chiellini, he's gone. So do you think that, you know, the 3-4-2-1 against Italy's 4-3-3 played um, a bigger role than some people think? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that because um, the way that Italy's back line works is the two the two guys in the middle are the two older guys and the two guys on the outside are the two younger guys, the, the quicker guys. Um, so I think I think England really tried to tried to use that to their advantage and play up and, you know, consolidate in the middle and um, really try to confuse or not confuse, but really tire out that back line. Like those, those back two, like you were saying before, Kylian, he just grabbed him by the collar. You could tell that he was tired, but yeah, I definitely think that those two, um, that, the, that, that formation really contributed to um, England's success, you know, with 
through balls and things like that because that easily distracted them. Yeah, I agree. And um, Nick, I, I, I love this talking point of um, how important is having possession. Italy's I, not usually a possessive team, but, I mean, they're really a different team in this tournament. We all, we all saw that they were a different team than they were in the past decade and a half when they won the World Cup. It was when, when they won the World Cup, when they went back to the Euro final in 2012, they were Italy's style of play was defense and counterattacking. Now they have midfield. They have Jorginho, Marco Verratti, um, Berea, all these midfielders that are able to possess the ball well. And they work well with the defenders too. And I, I think that was huge in the game because what, what was the possession? 66% for Italy. I mean, in a final, possessing the ball 66% is going to be very important. I think that Italy broke them down in the midfield. They needed to stay more compact. They were spread out. They couldn't, they were too open. Italy had space to pass the ball. They had space to dribble. They had space to easily get it down the flank. They just broke down England's midfield and then England had no sense of urgency. They they weren't attacking the ball as much. Brad, they were, you know, England's midfield were Declan Rice and Kieran Phillips. Uh, Two young guys, two extremely young guys. But then they're going up against Nicola Barella, Jorginho, and Marco Verratti, who we all know are top quality players who have been playing with the the Neymars and the Paul Pogba's and the Messi's and the Ronaldo's. Declan Rice and Kieran Phillips are not playing with those guys. Kieran Phillips plays for a mid-table Leeds United in the Premier League, and Declan Declan Rice plays for a a ten-seated West Ham United in England. Um, so. Do you think that it played a role? Do you think that uh, age or youth or experience played a role um, for the the veterans with Italy compared to the the new guys in England? It definitely could have. Um, I mean, it takes guys like that to um, be able to like recover when you have a bad start to a game or get your team under control when you're kind of all over the place, you're attacking uh, like over aggressively and putting yourself into spots that you don't want to be in. Um, It takes like those veteran guys to kind of control that just like through their play, especially in the midfield, obviously. Um, And then obviously with the, if you're going to ask about the age, like when it comes down to overtime and PKs experience is going to be the most important thing. Like, I don't care who you are. That's like where you need those kind of guys. And I definitely think they made an impact. Yeah, I really agree with that. I mean, a team like Italy with the veterans that they have, that's that's why they're able to get scored on in the second minute and then be like, okay, let's let's focus up and play our game and win this. Right. I mean, and the young guys in England, they get they score in the second minute and they're like, okay. Now we have a one nothing lead. We're, we're we're looking good. We can you know relax a little, sit back, and Italy took advantage of that for sure. And I think, the, yeah, I think one one. If, sorry, Brad. Yeah. If England's like took advantage of that right off the bat, this game could have been like a blowout because Italy was seriously like scattered like the whole first half. They could have give up three goals that half like easily if England like brought it like all 
on the table right away, like, could have been a very different game. Yeah, I agree. And I think Roberto Mancini made the adjustments that he needed to make. And he he told the he knew what he was doing and he knew what, how he needed to, he knew how to break down the English midfield and defense and get the opportunities that they had. And I also think age played a huge factor in the penalty shootout. I think I mean when when the game is on the line. I really don't think you should put an 18-year-old. Is he 18 years old? I don't. You can't put it. You can't put an 18-year-old on the line to take a game-winning penalty. You, I mean, you have a Euro final. I mean, I mean, think about who who. No. Raheem Sterling didn't take a penalty, did he? I would have. I would have taken Raheem Sterling, Kyle Walker. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Saka is a great player. Kyle Walker he showed you know I mean, that he should be he should be at this level, but. Again, at that like how you're saying, it's an experience thing, and you know Southgate really Southgate really took exactly. a big risk. All about nerves. Think about it. If he, if 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 Saka if Saka made that, like he's the he's the like child star of England, but you know at the, at the end of the day, his his little bet his little gamble didn't pay off. And now this kid's gonna have to deal with that. Yeah, all 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 three of them, Marcus Rashford and uh, Jaden Sancho. But the difference with them and Saka is Marcus Rashford has been playing way longer. And, yeah, that's right. but he's and, still and, still so young. No, he's still still and so Jaden young. Sancho, but he has, same with Jaden Sancho. He's got he he just he just signed a he just signed a massive deal. So like no, but he, still, I'm in a Euro final. It's yeah. it's. It's all it's all nerves. Just putting three. I, I mean, I I would agree with like maybe giving giving one or two of them. Maybe giving. I I don't I don't think Rashford was a bad decision. I honestly I really thought Rashford was going to try and do something cheeky, and he did, and he missed. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was trying to be he was trying to be uh, cheeky with the with the stutter stuff. And yeah, it Pogba. His his run up was uh, was Pogba esque. It wasn't as slow as Pogba's, but it was Pogba esque. Uh, speaking of of Saka, we all know that he had a breakout season with Arsenal this year. He, despite this past game, he has been playing really well for England as well. He's not really putting up the numbers, um, but it's it's showing on the pitch. His performance is day in and day out, and a lot of his teammates have come to the press saying. Look, I know you guys aren't seeing it on the stat sheet, but this guy's a this guy's a a, a difference maker. He's the game changer. Um, I think Luke Shaw was the one who said that about Bukayo Saka. So it kind of puts it into perspective about okay, this this kid's 18 years old. Yes, do I want this kid taking a penalty kick for my country to win the final? Um, I mean, yes or no, but yes. I mean, you you look at his recent history. He's playing well in Arsenal. He's playing well at at England. Uh, granted, should he put a Raheem Sterling in there? Should should have definitely. Um, I there's there, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, I do agree that Bukayo Saka should not have been the fifth penalty taker. You should have put Bukayo Saka in the third. Because you mm-hmm. always know, you always know, fourth and fifth penalty kick takers are going to be either the game losers or the game winners. So you put your teams, you put your team's game on the line 
all in Bukayo Saka's hands, and it was too much for the 18-year-old. Yeah, he's not. He's not. A, he's not a good anchor. He would have been a good like middle spot. It needs to happen. Honestly, it's the same same thing with Kylian Mbappe in France. In France, yeah, he's yes, he's different because he's been playing for a bit and he's already made a name for himself. But still, I mean, I feel like that's. I feel like it's the same thing. I mean, I. I... I, I think we're all trying to look for the James Rodriguez's of Colombia. Um, you know, I think we're trying to yeah. hope and, and pray that we find another hidden talent um, in, in one of these countries. And a lot of people wanted to be Saka, but uh, that's, a, that's a very valid point. Who else, you know, thinking about age or talking about age and experience and, you know, mm-hmm. risking it all and, and having the, the, the attitude to be able to slot home a kick for your team to win that um, takes a lot but at the same time there is a young there are a lot of young players out there um, who can hold that pressure and and who can and who can st- sustain it and be successful are there any players that come to your guys minds when you think of this tournament that this tournament being their breakout year being you know what this tournament's over Real Madrid is going to go track this guy. Manchester United is going to go track this guy. Is there anyone that that stood out to you guys saying, you know what, he wasn't a big name before, but now he is? Um, that I don't remember his. I don't remember his first name. I'm, I can look it up real quick. But um, uh, Doku on Belgium. He he really he yeah. really um, he really uh, Jeremy Jeremy Doku. He really. Um, shined through in that um, what what game was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the it was I'm pretty sure yeah it was the Belgium Italy game. He really shined through and really gave Italy a run for their money because um, with the ball on his feet and when he's off the ball, he is lightning quick. Yeah, yeah, I I yeah I I agree with that. And watching him, you know, watching him go up against Chiellini and Bonucci, got uh, veterans, you know, guys who've been playing this game forever. Mm-hmm. Um, blew by him did skill moves to blow by him he played well with De Bruyne he played well with Lukaku yeah I I could definitely agree with that yeah I can agree too what about Patrick Schick Patrick Schick how do you say that Patrick Schick Patrick Schick yes I, uh, I I could definitely see some clubs looking at him he I don't think he I don't I really don't think he had that good of a tournament will he win the best goal of the like... tournament will he win goal of the tournament yes he will Definitely, definitely. Like I, yeah, that's I watched, okay. But he did. He did put up. He scored. He scored really against. He scored against the Dutch defense. He okay, but was, let's, I mean, let's think about. Let's all right. So, but let's think about who else does Czech Republic have? No, that's like that's like saying exactly. That's like saying Poland. Like Lewandowski is is. The, the the best player on on the Poland team. Well, obviously because there's no one else. So if Patrick Schick wasn't going to be scoring the goals for Czech Republic, well, what? yeah. But the thing is, Czech Republic just shouldn't have been scoring the goals at all. I still want to backtrack it. That's that's a hot take. You think that his goal is the best goal of the tournament? Easily. Yeah. Easily. Oh hell no. Pogba's curling yeah. upper ninety goal against. Who was it? I think it was Switzerland. It was Switzerland. That yeah, was not, nah, dude. From, you can't from, get any more top bins than so, that. So yes, from fifty yes. yards out, there's no way that's not one of those. Seb, I Seb, I, if 
this is going to sound dumb, but if Patrick Schick didn't score from the goal line, from the midway line, I would say Pogba's goal because Pogba's goal was clinical. That was he could not have hit that any sweeter. Um, he had power, he had pace on it, he had power, he had precision, he had everything you need. But Patrick Schick's goal, I mean, that was that was tough to beat. I mean, you can't see you can't see a, a fifty-five yard goal and be like. Right, right. So, uh, uh, big uh, Nick, back to yours, your um, statement made earlier. Uh, Patrick Schick being your your breakout star. I don't know if he's my breakout it. star. I just think he's a one one potential breakout star. Yeah, no, I I I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the the one player that stood out to me most, um, he. Didn't start off immediately quick. Um, he kind of took his time getting into the groove of everything. Uh, you know his name. Everyone knows his name. He is a big-name player, but he's never had that spark. Um, I'm gonna. I'm actually going to do two people. But the first guy is Renato Sanchez with Portugal. Dude. Renato yes. Sanchez. I can uh, definitely agree with that. He's he's always been there, you know. He's always been a good player for for Portugal and for Lille, um, and in in France. Um, but he's never had that breakout year. And he's 23 years old. He's young. He's motivated. He's good. He's been playing with Cristiano Ronaldo, Diego Jota, Bernardo Silva. He just won. He just won the uh, the the French Cup. With with Lille beating PSG, yeah. kids got talent. I think I think he did. I think he did very well in um, the 2016 Euros because I think I think that was the I think that was the the tournament that he really made a name for himself. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you that he's definitely he definitely showed progression. You know, not at first, but he definitely really shined through this this tournament. Yeah, and my other my other. Uh breakthrough not really a breakthrough he's always been through but I think people just got to give him a little bit more um credit is Marco Verratti I think I think yes he he plays for one of the biggest clubs in the world uh Paris Saint-Germain but I feel like Marco Verratti is kind of going under everyone's radar um but he led the the European tournament this this summer he led the, the the tournament in tackles he had 30 tackles. The next man had 15. And it was And he's not even a, he's not even a defender. And he's not even a defender. Uh he's only 28 years old. Several teams need a t- a midfielder like him. Um he doesn't quite fit the Jorginho center defensive mid role, um but he kind of does fit that that center holding role um mm-hmm. where he can push up, but more times than not he'll sit back. Um but I mean, I just watch him play and and you know, I I feel like people forgot about him. I feel like everyone said, "Oh, you know, he, he's he's stuck. He's stuck in Neymar's shadow. He's stuck in Neymar and Mbappe's shadow." And I, in, in my personal opinion, he needs to go back to Italy, find a better club, um, because people are are out there and they're going to be looking for him. I think I think Juventus could use a guy like him. Yeah, Juventus. Would love to Juventus have they have Adrian Rabiot, they have Aaron Ramsey, but they're more they're more 
I feel like, in, in my opinion, they're more like attack oriented. Yes. Yes. Talking about Marco uh, Verratti in this, you know, defensive tackling um, role. Those two, those two other guys are more attacking oriented. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, yeah, so just to wrap it up, it was a great year of 2020. Um, had a lot of highs, had a lot of lows, a lot of misses, and a lot of makes. Thank you, guys. That is all that we have here with the Pitch Blitz. Thank you, Brad, Nick, and Seb for hopping on, talking soccer with me. I hope all the fans out there enjoyed it, and uh, stick around for next time. Take care, guys.